There's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends, but who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef. Today we'll be discussing laser vision correction surgery options and helping you find the best option for you. There are many uh, ranges of procedures out there available and today we'll be exploring the options. And today we have with us Cleveland Clinic ophthalmologist, Dr. Ronald Kruger. Thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. And I wanna just give you a few minutes to introduce yourself to our viewers or listeners. Yeah, so I'm Ronald Kruger. I am the medical director of refractive surgery at the Cole Eye Institute of the Cleveland Clinic. Uh, I've been here, this is now my 20th year. Wow and uh, practicing a little bit before that uh, elsewhere. And then when I came here, it was a chance to sort of, you know, lead this, this department of refractive surgery, which I've been doing for about 20 years. Uh, I've kind of seen the whole generations of different laser vision pr uh, procedures come and go and been involved in a lot of the development of those things along the way. So uh, I kind of look forward to sharing some of those thoughts with everybody today. Great. Can't wait to get started. And before we do get started, though, uh, please remember this is for informational purposes only and not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So um, I kind of want to start with laser vision correction. What exactly is it fixing? Because there's more than just one thing, right? More than just blurry right, vision. Right. So let's talk about that. So, so most people that are coming in um, probably fit the category of being nearsighted. And that's the mm -hmm. number one thing we correct is myopia or nearsightedness. And that's the primary thing that early laser vision correction did to treat. It then expanded to correcting things like astigmatism, mm -hmm. farsightedness, and now we're actually trying to even deal with the reading glasses issues for patients who are over the age of 40, where we can sort of target uh, sort of a, a blended compromise that allows them to still see some distance and some near. And I can go over that in even more details as sure. I go along. But each of those different prescriptions can be treated um, depending on which technology we use okay. and, uh, and, and how we discuss it with the patient in terms of their options. Right. So nearsightedness, farsightedness, astigmatism, astigmatism and blurry vision. And even presbyopia, Some. which is the need for uh, both distance and reading glasses. Okay. Okay. All right. Excellent. Well, there are so many different procedures out there. I've heard of LASIK, PRK. Um, I believe it's intraocular lens, and then there's smile. Can we talk about the differences and sure. which ones to know? Which so, ones so going back uh, to the 95, 96, mm -hmm. uh, when the FDA first approved PRK, that was the first procedure that came along. Um, it was being used around the rest of the world, finally went through the FDA studies, but it was the idea of just removing the outer surface layers of the cornea, mm -hmm and then letting a laser lathe or reshape that cornea into uh, a new curvature that would fit the prescription of the patient's eye. Wow. PRK was popular in the beginning to some extent, mm -hmm. but it was more associated with some pain and discomfort and also a little longer recovery to the vision where it needed to be. Mm -hmm. Just a few years after that, starting around 97, 98, LASIK hit the market and LASIK gave that same outcome, but right away, like with one day, you could mm -hmm. see that well, and you didn't really have the pain and discomfort. So that really made it even more popular. And most people that hear about laser vision correction, they hear about LASIK, they don't know as much about PRK, right. because LASIK was that really popular thing that really grew the market. Yeah. 
right now, presently, we do about 70% LASIK and about 20% mm -hmm. PRK. So we still do PRK because yeah. not everyone is a good candidate for LASIK. Okay. Um, but that's part of what an exam will tell is, is what's really the best procedure. And sometimes I have to coach patients and say, you know, you're really a better candidate for PRK. And they say, yeah, but that's the one that takes longer to heal. Yeah. And I'm like, that's true. But we're talking about long-term success. And right. this would really be in your best interest to do it this way. Sure. So um, using a visual here for those watching, sure. um, if we can kind of explain what PRK does versus LASIK. And I know even we have more smile, right? Is right. That one I'm going to talk about smile right next. So, okay. So PRK, you can sort of see this blue line, which is the outer diameter area that everything within it is the outer skin layer that's removed. So we just, you know, we actually just use a very soft instrument and we kind of soften it a little bit with diluted alcohol and just peel it back. So it's the surface no, of the no real cone. scraping, okay. it's just kind of peeling back an outer surface layer. Mm -hmm. And then the laser comes and reshapes the cornea into this new shape that just really fine tunes your, your prescription. Right, right. That's PRK, okay. which is a surface laser treatment. Then comes LASIK. Now LASIK is a little more invasive in that it goes deeper layers because we mm. use this blue line out here is actually the edge of where that flap is created. Mm. The flap is then opened up and the inside layers are treated with the laser to reshape it to that new curvature. And then the flap comes back but because the flap still has that outer surface skin layer on it, it knits together real quick and mm -hmm. gives fast return of vision with no real discomfort and pain. So why is this more invasive? Is this just a digger uh, Well, you could just dive? say because here you got an extra layer. Yeah. You right. know, with the other one, you just did everything on the surface. I see. This is a little more invasive in that there's an extra layer there. Right. But right. that extra layer affords quick return of vision and also less discomfort. Right. And that's what patients really like, you know. So LASIK is sort of the darling of the procedures because it's, it's just faster. But you have to really qualify for this. You got to make sure that everything about your eye is healthy and normal that this is the procedure that's recommended. Sure. And sure. there might be cases where we say, no, we're, we're not recommending LASIK, we're recommending PRK. Okay, great. So there is this third procedure yes. of laser vision correction called SMILE. Now SMILE is sort of, I would almost kind of call it like a laparoscopic LASIK. Okay. It's the idea of the tissue needs to be removed, but it's doing it with a very precise layer that, a laser that creates a layer of tissue that can then be removed. So here you can see there's a tiny incision, mm -hmm. small incision, but inside it's, it's corrected and shaped the front and back surface of a layer and that layer can just be pulled out. Wow. And then that ultimately corrects your vision. Mm. So the nice thing about SMILE is it doesn't have this large incision of a flap, it's just a smaller incision and then that same correction can be removed. So, so it's nice, the surface, it's, outer surface skin is still present. It's untucked, yeah. So there's quicker return of vision than the PRK, but it takes maybe a few extra days of real recovery for it to be as sharp as LASIK. We find that LASIK probably gives the, the, the sharpest vision, vision early on. Mm -hmm. Smile is really close to that. You know, okay. within the first day to week, it really sharpens it. And PRK is the one that takes a little longer. Okay. And when I think of all three of them, this procedure has even more benefit to patients with dry eyes. Oh, Because okay. it's cutting less nerves on the outer surface. You know, it doesn't have a full flap. Okay. LASIK maybe has a little quicker return of vision and, you know, some level for customization. And, and the PRK is probably better in those cases where you've got a really high correction 
and your corneas are sort of thin or the shape makes us a little more suspect and then we want to be a little more conservative right and that's where we recommend PRK okay so it's all about finding out what kind of candidate you are and you need a, a very thorough eye exam to determine that okay so how do I know which one's best for me that's based on that's everything you just said that's the exam <laughs> you have to on... come in you have to you have to have a trusted uh, you know specialist kind of give you their professional opinion okay and, and and they may give you options they may say you know you could be a candidate for either of these two procedures and then it's a matter of talking through all the, the the small nuances about what might be better for them as an individual sure now I see LASIK a lot in malls in in places that you don't think of in a hospital setting right um, are those okay <laughs> I mean is that something where you can go is that reputable should we be how do we know where well, to go for LASIK I, I mean, part of that comes into this question about uh, about price too, because some right. people would say, "Well, you know, I see some of these advertisements that that say it's like five hundred dollars, and then you know the typical price that you know we're sort of saying it's about five thousand dollars for mm. both eyes, as opposed mm -hmm. to five hundred per eye." Yeah. Um, what's this big differential that people are experiencing? And and you know the the bottom line is the cost in providing it does require us paying royalties and mm. there's servicing of the laser and there's the expertise of the doctor. So the pricing is going to be costly like that, but some places really want your business, so yeah. they're going to drive the price down. Mm. Okay. You've got to be careful they're not cutting corners in the process. Yeah, that so does sound So one scary. of the comments I always make is that no one ever really goes shopping around for discount brain surgery. <laughs> so why would you go looking for discount eye surgery? That's a very good you know, point. This is kind of a one and done. You want to do this and this is going to be your eyes for the rest of your life. Right. You really want to get the best quality you can. So you might find some places that are, are less expensive, that are really reputable and good quality. I mean, mm -hmm. not everybody in the mall is, is horrible. Sure. But you also don't want to get stuck with somebody who may not really have your best interest in mind. Right. And right. Uh, and and then something as permanent as maybe doing eye surgery, you really want to make a careful choice. Yeah. So way. do your do your research. Right. Um, now, why would some candidates get turned out turned down for this procedure? I mean, are, are is there a good majority that get turned down, or do most people kind so of? So most people have normal enough eyes that they are candidates. Okay. So if you think, gee, my glasses are just so thick and, and they're so you know blurry without glasses I don't think I'd ever qualify you'd be surprised you, okay. know, you may qualify very well mm -hmm. but there are some conditions and disorders of the eye that we have to screen out that make you not a good candidate and th those are the ones you really want to know about ahead of time so okay. patients that have severe dry eyes that could be even related to some kind of an autoimmune condition or something that might lead to that may not really be the best candidate for certain procedures and certain other ones might actually still be okay. Right, right. Um, patients that have keratoconus mm. or maybe the earliest signs of keratoconus that may have not even been diagnosed yet, that's one of the things we really carefully screen out for because we're, we're removing layers of your cornea. We don't want to add to whatever condition and make it worse. Right, And that's right. part of that screening process. Um, you know, patients that are using Accutane you know, mm. sometimes that can be a little bit of a contraindication because it can lead to some excessive dry eyes and things afterwards. And so those are just subtle things you just want to know ahead of time. Okay, great. You covered my next question, so I'm going to go to my third. But if I wasn't a candidate in the past for dry eyes or anything like that, if it was years ago, and it sounds like the technology is just booming oh, in this field, could I be a candidate now? If they told me I had dry eyes maybe like five years ago, yeah. Can, should I go back? Because you just showed me smile could work with dry eyes. It's something to, to reevaluate. Right. So I, I had one of my uh, early patients 
who actually had dry eyes mm -hmm. and had uh, a little bit of a of a, a, a rheumatologic condition that maybe pre predisposed her that way, and she heard about Smile and yeah. she came in had Smile procedure and that really was the best procedure for her. Right. Because it ultimately gave her the vision correction while at the same time respecting the fact that there are other factors that we want to really make work for her. Yeah. And then there's there's another one too, right? Intraocular. So intraocular lens. So mm -hmm. in patients who have very high levels of nearsightedness. Mm -hmm so that it goes outside the range of what we can do with a laser, we can actually put a lens implant in the eye and correct their nearsightedness like that. Uh -huh. And that, that really works well. So, so what are our ranges? You know, pretty much around up to a minus 10, mm. we can treat pretty effectively with the PRK or the LASIK or even the SMILE. Yeah. The minute we start getting above minus 10 or even maybe up to minus 12 with LASIK in some cases, we're kind of going too high. Yeah, and yeah. so somebody comes in and says, but I'm minus 15. Is there anything for me? The intraocular lens would actually work pretty well that way. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you. Well, uh, I kind of want to start talking about what happens during the procedures. I know there's a lot of questions. Well, is, it, is there any like risks to know about um, with these procedures? Are, are they pretty safe? So they are pretty safe. Um, LASIK happens to be the most frequently performed elective procedure in all of medicine. Wow. So in all of medicine. In all of medicine, wow. you know. So of all the other elective procedures out there, LASIK is, is done the most. Yeah. And so that really gives it a level of credibility that it's been out there and it's very popular and the masses are doing it. Okay. And yet there still is always, you know, there are more patients that could be done than are currently being done. And there's still always this underlying fear that patients have. They say, well, it's eye surgery. And they, they're sort of scared of that. But if they happen to have a friend or a family member that had it done and had yeah. a great result, they're like, wow, they had it done. Yeah. I think I could do it too. So yeah. that helps alleviate the fear a little bit is, is when, it, when it comes home to, to somebody you know personally. Yeah, And that right. makes it a little bit easier that way. So how fast is that procedure, the LASIK procedure? So um, typically, uh, I would say that a patient can have both eyes done within about 20, 30 minutes. Wow. Are they so awake during the awake. whole thing? They're awake during the procedure. We usually give some Valium because okay. we want them to be a little bit relaxed. Relax. We don't want to be tense or mm -hmm. fidgety during the procedure because they're your eyes. It's, it's not like going to the dentist where they might be drilling away yeah. and it's your teeth. <laughs> Here we're doing something and people are just a little more sensitive because it's their eyes. Yeah. So we want them to be nice and relaxed so that they're comfortable and that just makes the whole procedure better for everybody. So there's, if there is any movement, is that, does that mess anything up? Because I always think about someone just sitting there, you have to relax, but you get nervous right. and... A little movement, maybe? Well, I mean, we would much rather have a still, still patient sure. than a patient who's moving. Right. Because then I have to kind of work around that movement. But that's where you want to have a calm surgeon who can talk to their patient, reassure them, give them the comfort they need. A little Valium can help make the difference. Yeah. There are steps of the procedure where it's probably even more critical not to move than other mm -hmm. steps. Okay. You know, like when the, when the laser with some suction on the eye is actually treating mm -hmm. a layer, we, we don't want you to move so that the suction's lost, and that uh, would cause a problem. Sure. And you'd have to go back and say, well, we have reapply the suction at that point. Okay. And then what to expect after the procedure? So usually in the first few hours after, say, LASIK, which is the one where you have quickest return of vision and, and, mm -hmm. and maybe most comfort, um, the first few hours your eyes are kind of a little light sensitive and stingy. And okay. so we encourage people to just close their eyes on the way home and take a, a nap when they get home. 
Okay. Usually they, they get up from the nap maybe three to four hours later, and they will look around the room, and they're like, wow, I can see already, and their eyes are already feeling more comfortable after wow, that. Wow, that fast. Yeah. That's amazing. So just in a few hours, they're already pretty functional. Okay, so you won't drive home, but maybe in a few hours after you Well, nap. someone else is going to drive you home. Yeah. But you can yeah. certainly talk with the driver. Yeah. But you close your eyes, just kind of rest them. It's, it's a nice environment. You feel like you want to close them. Sure. And it's actually good for you to close them. Do you need artificial tears after that procedure? You do need artificial tears. We give you uh, a topical steroid drop that okay. reduces inflammation. Okay. And we also give an antibiotic because we just want to make sure we're preventing any kind of infection that might otherwise happen. And top artificial tears. Yeah, artificial, artificial tears, tears are just temporary though, right? Or is that kind of like we, you're going to be We encourage it? you to use those. Um, okay. You know, like the, the steroid and the antibiotic are typically for about a week. Right. But we usually encourage you to keep using the artificial tears even for the first month or so. Because okay. there are tendencies where your eyes might be a little bit dry. And just supplementing that with, with an artificial tear is helpful. Yeah, great. Now, I've, I've had siblings that had LASIK and my mother, um, mm -hmm. but they've um, gone back uh, after a few years. Is this always a thing that, like, you need to come back for a touch-up? <laughs> well, for the most part, I mean, maybe the best way to sort of say it is uh, your eyes are living tissue. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not a piece of plastic. If it was a piece of plastic, we could reshape it and it would stay the same way and never change. Mm -hmm. But because it's living tissue, it could be subject to just some changes sure. that typically happen with time and age. And you know the same thing, that occasionally you'll get a pair of glasses, in a few years you, your vision may change a little bit, and you have to get another pair. Yeah, yeah. So it's again, because it's living tissue, it can change. But the vast majority of people have this done, and maybe 10 years later they have the same good quality vision. But right. everyone's a little different. Sure. So sure. there's still a small percentage that may come back after some years and say, hey, I think my eyes have changed. Right. Okay. Well, I'm getting a lot of questions. But before um, I go to live questions, I want to read this fun fact I read and tell me if it's true or not. Okay. I've read that custom LASIK is based on the same technology used in the Hubble Space Telescope project. Yes. And yes. that's true. Okay. So that, this is actually going back uh, early 2000s, maybe around 2003 or 4, mm -hmm. when Wavefront customized LASIK was introduced into the market here in the U.S. Wow. and became a very popular form of customizing. And, and the idea is that if we can uh, correct small irregularities in addition to your prescription, mm -hmm. you know, we can get a better quality overall result. And it's all about trying to get the best quality for our patients. Right. Well, that was a number of years ago, like going back maybe 15 years. Right. And in that period of time, newer levels of customization have also come along, right. where we've actually compensated for, for typical small irregularities that the laser would induce. We would start compensating so that wouldn't be the case. And now we're actually treating the front surface irregularities together with a prescription right. to sort of optimize people, where I'd say maybe about 30% of my patients are be seeing better than their best pair of glasses. Wow. Yeah, wow. So we're actually trying to really push this into the direction of, of seeing better than glasses. Amazing. Yeah, this technology sounds like it's definitely booming. Well, I'm getting a lot of uh, live questions, so I'm going to start reading okay. those off. Sure. Uh, let's see. I have uh, Rena. After a corneal ulcer in my left eye, I knew I didn't want to go anywhere else. Mm. Uh, let me see who's cutting off here. Uh, Dr. Kruger performed LASIK in my eye, in my right eye, and PRK and a corneal transplant in my left. I highly recommend coli. So it's just a nice comment. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. And I think I remember that patient. Too. You do. <laughs> and then I have uh, Leslie. Will eye corrective surgery reduce or eliminate floaters? Okay, so that's a good question yeah. because floaters 
are fairly common. And, and what a floater is, is that there's a gel in the back of the eye in front of the retina. Mm -hmm. And as you age, that gel tends to separate from the retina. And when it does, it can cast a little shadow that you notice as a floater, especially if it's condensed in one place right in the center of your vision. Yeah. Um, floaters are not something that's easily removed and, and eliminated. Uh, in fact, we have no really great ways of doing it, although there are newer things out there where you could try to use a laser to blast a floater away. Maybe not completely risk-free. Yeah. Uh, some people are beginning to do that, and there's even some surgeons that would say they would remove all the gel of your eye if you had a really bad floater. Wow. This is if you have, like, the worst floater of your life type of thing, where it really blocks, you know, your, what you're seeing. Mm. Most of the time, it's more of an incidental finding. Okay. Laser vision correction is not going to take away the floater because it's all about uh, changing the optics to make a sharp focus. There still might be that little, you know, condensation area that, that, that creates a floater. Yeah. And so we usually tell people that floaters won't typically go away. You might still have them afterwards. So you describe floater as dark and like a shadow. I, I thought, or what I see, um, floaters are almost like transparent. They look like worms. Are they, is that normal? Well, is that, that, that's, that's part of it is. Because, because the gel in the, in, in, the, in the eye in front of the retina yeah. is a transparent gel. Okay. But if that gel has a layer and now yeah. it's separated right in front of the sharpest part of your retina, it could cast a little reflection. It sort of looks translucent a little sure, bit. Or, sure. or you might see some small, small condensation that, that makes it look like a spot or like a like a, a little ring or yeah, something yeah. along those lines that people sometimes report. And they're more of kind of a side annoyance. They, they don't really take away the crispness of the vision, but right. they just add that extra, you know, kind of shadow extra or trans, you know, the yeah. translucency. <laughs> and, and for some patients, they can be pretty annoying. Of course, of course. Thank you. All right, and I have Valerie. Are people over 60 are good candidates for the surgery? Uh, can you be too old? Well, you, you won't be too old, but... As you age and you start getting into your 60s or 70s, um, we also have to factor in the natural lens in your eye, which mm -hmm. is getting older and getting closer and closer to becoming a cataract. Okay. So if you are of the age where you don't have a visually significant cataract yet, but you're starting to scatter more of the light and that's degrading and creating halos and distortions a little yeah. bit, um, we can actually do lens replacement surgery even before it's a cataract. Okay. And it's basically the same exact surgery as a cataract surgery, but because we can't call it a cataract, it becomes more of a self-pay item, and mm. it's correcting your vision. Okay. And we do a fair number of those as well to get really good sharp clarity without glasses, yes. but at the same time taking care of some of that light scatter of the early, you know, not yet visually significant cataract. Great. And speaking of pay, uh, Darlene wants to know how much does it cost? I know you talked earlier, maybe five. Yeah, so, so typical LASIK, if you go to most, you know, reputable centers, is probably going to be somewhere close to about $5,000 for both eyes. Okay. Uh, sometimes you'll see a little bit less or a little bit more. Um, if, you're, if you're seeing some places that are really deeply discounting it, it, I think it, I think most people sort of feel like something doesn't seem right. You know, yeah, why, why is it so low? And, and you know, I, I, I'm more scared about that than I am, you know, eager to jump and pursue right. it. And again, it's that idea that you know, it's your eyes. You really, right. you really don't want to necessarily seek out a discount surgery for your eyes. Right, right. And then that's uh, the same price for all the different procedures as yeah, well? Yeah, there, there's small differentials. Like, like, for instance, Smile usually could be just a little bit more, but our customized LASIK is about the same price as Smile. Okay. And PRK is generally a little less because we have less royalties to pay with what we do with PRK. Okay, great. 
And then Sue, can you correct vision issues for both near and far? Okay, so that's that's the presbyopia question. Yeah. You know, so we can do that, and for those patients who are over the age of 40, um, they may be saying, gee, I'd love to have distance in both eyes, but if I can't read, I, I won't like that. And, and the number one way I deal with that is something called blended vision or monovision. It's the idea that the strongest eye, the eye that's the dominant one, is the one that I fully correct for distance. Mm. And then the non-dominant opposite eye, I correct for some sort of a near mid-range target that allows them to see and read, and then each eye is kind of accentuating that distance a little bit more so they can, with both eyes open, see both distance and Make near. Make a great balance. And it's, a, it's amazing because some people question like, well, I don't know if I could get used to that. Uh, I, I've done studies of this, and I, I'd say about 93% of my patients over the age of 40 do it this way and like wow. it. So I get more than 9 out of 10 that really accept monovision, make it work, and, and I'd say it's, it's my most successful way of dealing with uh, the, the issue of, of reading glasses. Yeah, and that's monovision? That's said? monovision awesome. or blended vision. We call it. And then I have uh, Arlene. Can laser surgery be done if you had cataract operation done before? And the answer is yes. Yes. So if you've had a cataract surgery and maybe the cataract surgery didn't fully correct your vision, you might yeah. have some astigmatism left or it might be a little bit nearsighted. You think, well, can I fix this further? Uh, we do that all the time for you know subtle cases where maybe they come back and say, can I fix that? We, we certainly can treat that and get you that extra sharpness. Great. And then Carol Ann, uh, after cataract surgery in both eyes, is it true that a person cannot have laser vision corrective surgery? Please confirm. They, they, can, they can definitely have it done. Okay. Um, the, the real question would be is what is their best corrected vision? So after cataract surgery, if they can be corrected all the way to 2020, it's just that without glasses they don't see 2020, then right. I would say, you know, seek out laser vision correction as a way of getting you that full correction. Great. And, and nowadays, whenever people are doing cataract surgery, they're sort of expecting that yeah. I want to see without glasses afterwards. And Absolutely. so when they don't get that, they feel like something was sort of deprived, you know, that they sort of cheated. missed out on, yeah, yeah they're a yeah. little cheated <laughs> and that they kind of expect that, you yeah. know, and it's, we're, you know, we're providing more and more of that expertise that people are coming to expect the things that we can provide. Sure. And so the answer is that laser vision correction can be very effective to get you that extra where you, you didn't totally achieve it. So if someone comes back after two or three years for a touch-up, do they, is that full price? Is that just... Yeah, so, so let's say you had um, LASIK with us, mm -hmm. and uh, within a year you're coming back and you say, I think my vision's a little bit off. Uh, we actually guarantee that for the whole first year, that if we did any mm. kind of retreatments, there's no e extra cost for okay. that. You know, that's part of the global period of coverage. Yeah. Now, okay. as you get into the second year, we say, well, we, we're going to charge you some small amount because it's been a whole year and maybe mm -hmm. your eyes could be starting to change. And then the third year, it's maybe a little bit more. And so by the time you're at about five years out, we feel like, okay, we've kind of covered you through the early phases of LASIK. Yeah. And now if you're coming in for some small change, we're, we're going to be pretty close to the full price. So it's prorated. It's prorated. Okay. And that's good too because some people yeah. are like thinking about their anniversary date. And they're like, I have to show up and, and get this checked out because yeah. I don't want to go to full price in right. one day. You know? right. We don't want to do that. We want to make it so they can make a, a co you know, conscious, proper decision and not feel rushed about sure, something. Sure, thank you, it's great to know. And then I have Clara, is this procedure possible or advised for seniors with cataract issues? I feel like we just met, we just talked about this. Right. Um, Leslie, can corrective eye surgery be done at the same time as the upper eye lid lift? Yeah, so if you have an issue where maybe you need a little bit of a, a lid lift, 
Mm -hmm. uh, best to either have the LASIK done first or the lid lift done first, but maybe wait about up to six months between them. Six months, okay. Yeah, so you want to do them differently because you want to let one really fully recover and heal uh, so that you'd be more equipped and ready for the second one. Great. And then uh, Alba, I see like a cloud in one of my eyes. Uh, sometimes I have to clear my eye and it will clear again. Thank you so much. Okay, so the cloud could be like a floater. Yeah. But it also could be some momentary dry eyes because people sometimes will say, my vision is oh. occasionally blurry. I blink a few times, it gets a little better. Yeah. There might be mucus, it might be a little dryness. You know, a lot of people suffer from early dry eyes for a number of different reasons. And if they're coming in for an evaluation, we try to pinpoint that and treat the dry eyes even before we do the surgery. Okay. Well, isn't macular degeneration, isn't that some kind of clouds in the eye? Well, or is that that, that's also a, a, a more common cause of vision loss as a person gets older. Okay. And that has to do with the retina in the back of the eye that with age begins to degenerate a little bit so that you, you begin to have a little distortion of vision. Yeah. And because it's common, there are actually some ways to sort of prevent that mm -hmm. using um, you know, kind of vitamins that sort of supplement things in your diet mm. that might otherwise lead to it. And so there are certain types of, uh, of, of vitamins like xanthine and lutein, which are in spe special vitamins that might help a person who has early macular degeneration. Okay. But you know, that's something you should just go to your doctor and be monitored for. So talking about um, diet, I'm going to just bring this up. Do carrots help your eye health? So carrots <laughs> always um, something I've heard. <laughs> is, is full of vitamin A, and yeah. vitamin A is generally good for the retina. Okay. Although uh, maybe you shouldn't be eating so many carrots <laughs> or celery that you Turn create orange. a toxicity yeah. in your own self. You know, yeah. I, we've, we've heard of crazy stories like that where <laughs> people were so convinced it was so good that they actually overdosed themselves Oh, my on goodness. It. Wow, overdosing on carrots doesn't sound delicious. I have Leslie. I have a lazy eye in the right eye. I, w I wear contacts for both eyes. Would I be a candidate for this? Okay, so in the case of a lazy eye, we cannot fully correct that vision to make the lazy eye go away. It's, it's that's muscles, right? Well, it, it's actually, I mean, usually with children, it could be where their eyes are crossing. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, we, we define a lazy eye as sort of a layman's term for something called amblyopia, mm. which means that the full correction with the best pair of glasses doesn't get all the way to 2020 because that eye just didn't develop as well when they mm. were a child. And so there's a wow. difference in how sharp it developed based on the signal or whatever they received as a kid. And because it happened in childhood, that might be as good as that eye can get. Okay. And so we say, yeah, well, we can still do surgery to correct your prescription, but some of that lazy eye that limits how sharp it could be is still going to limit it. There's going to be limitations. Okay, great. And then I have Jane. Can surgery be done if you wear bifocals? Yes. So, so the issue of wearing bifocals is presbyopia, which literally means old vision. Oh, okay. you know, so that kind of hits hits you right at home. Yeah. Uh, and but the idea is that yeah, you know, if you're losing that up close with your full distance prescription, you know, yes, I could correct both eyes for distance, but then I'm going to leave you like wanting to see something up close. Right. So if I do this slight slight differential between the eyes, I find that's most effective, and people really like the flexibility they have of seeing distance and near without wearing glasses on and off. Sure. And I also tell patients, you know, just because I do this monovision doesn't mean you're never going to wear glasses again. Right. It's just going to mean that you're going to be the most free from glasses in your day-to-day -day activities. And glasses could always make something better, like driving at night in the rain. You yeah. might say, I want both eyes seeing down the road. 
or, or reading small print in a, or, or you know, working on some small detail, threading needles. Yeah. You might want to just put something on and make both eyes see up close. Sure. But those are kind of rarer instances, and you have a whole lot more flexibility so that you're not on and off with glasses all day yeah, long. Yeah, that's, that's good clarification. Thank you. And then Wanda, um, can you have surgery if you have diabetic damage to your eyes? Okay, so diabetes is more common now in the population. Okay. And if a diabetic is well controlled and there's no real retinal damage okay. that's coming from the diabetes, then they could be a candidate. But if their diabetes is fairly severe that they're starting to get retinal damage, maybe they should be paying more attention to what the diabetes is doing and, and maybe worry less about the, the, the vision correction okay. aspect of things. Just because, you know, diabetes could be bad enough that you really lose all your vision. Right, and, and exactly. You really want to take exactly. care of that, and, and, and that would be the primary focus. Sure. All right. We do have a lot of questions, but I will give you two before I let you go. Um, I have Paul. I have a high astigmatism, negative uh, 10, and have been told LASIK won't work for me. Is this true? Okay, so negative 10 sounds like a, a, a nearsighted value. Mm -hmm. okay. Minus 10 would be a high myopia or high nearsightedness. Okay. We can treat minus 10 with laser vision correction with one of the, a number of the different ones. We can also treat astigmatism up to 6, mm -hmm. which is a lot of astigmatism. And so most people probably fit somewhere less than 3, yeah. but we can even go up to 6. Okay. So it gives us a lot of flexibility. So make your appointment, right? Could be done. Have, have them come <laughs> in. You can get it checked out. We can tell them what's possible. Great. And then uh, last one for you. I have Najwa. Uh, my son had corrective laser procedure. After one year, he had night vision difficulty. Is this normal? Okay. So in the early days of laser vision correction, uh, before some of those customized profiles started happening, patients would come in with 20-20 vision, mm -hmm. and they'd say, I see rings and lights around night, and, and, and most of the doctors would say, yeah, but you see 20-20, so you should be happy. But there were small irregularities that were there that we didn't even have the technology to really understand fully mm -hmm. until these customized Hubble telescope type things came along to really describe and characterize those small irregularities and to then perfect it so we could treat those irregularities right from the get-go. Yeah. And, uh, and so right now, we're kind of customizing things to prevent things like halos and glare as, at night as, as best as possible. And even, even some of this newer things that I'm doing with topography-guided correction, uh, the FDA studies have actually shown that there are statistically less halos and glare yeah. than pre-op, than patients wow. might have had before their surgery. Because if you were in contacts and stuff, it might be enough that you can get some, you know, star bursting or glare yeah. at night, yeah. here this can sort of blend it out in such a way that you might even see less of that after the laser vision correction as well. Yeah. So don't necessarily be afraid that that's going to be the thing that, that's going to make your vision disabling. And, and for some that maybe have some of those glare and halos from an older procedure, mm -hmm. you know, we're even beginning to, to try to retreat those patients to try to eliminate some of that. I can only imagine what the next 20 years will look like, let alone 100. Well, I mean, you know, I mean it's, it's been out there now for, for 30 years, yeah. 25 years, yeah. you know, in the U.S. So there's been a lot of refinement, you know, yes. making this better and better quality. And we're not stopping. We're, we're pushing technology forward to keep making it better and better. Great. And thank you so much for your time. But before I let you go, is there anything you want to tell our viewers or listeners before we go? You know, I, I have some colleagues who would say that... Uh, this is now getting so good 
laser vision correction that it really should become the primary form of vision correction. Mm -hmm. So instead of glasses and contacts, everybody should be getting LASIK yeah. done. We're not quite there yet. I mean, there's a lot of potential limitations. There's cost. There's just fear in the market. There's questions about where do I go. But as we see this market grow more and more, I think that becomes a more realistic endpoint. Could we make this so that the next generation looks back and say, oh, yeah, that was the generation that really got rid of glasses. That paid for glasses, right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, they had all that, too, and, yeah. and, and, and we were able to sort of take this to the level where now everybody can enjoy this. Yeah, yeah, great. Well, thank you so much. And to schedule a consultation with our team of experts, um, you can call us at 216-445-8585 for an appointment. And to stay up to date with Cleveland Clinic health tips and information, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. Thank you again. We'll see you next time. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.